0: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Soccer in the City. Tom Colker, Glenn Crooks, Roberto Abramowitz, John Rojas talk of Major League Soccer. Although this episode, gentlemen, will be heavily, heavily focused on the U.S. national team. We will talk a little MLS. Uh, some NWSL as well some ladies to, news and information to report on the women's side of the game. So we'll get into that. Uh, but Glenn, we and fellows, we have to start with the U.S. against Mexico Nations League final. It was a heck of a match, not a great start for the U.S. to say the least. Down a goal in the opening minutes and potentially could have been down two nothing. Had an offside call, not called a goal back for Mexico. U.S. getting an equal, uh, equalizer in the 28th minute from Gio Reyna. Mexico, again, takes the lead in the second half. U.S. comes back to equalize uh, Weston McKinney header. And then, of course, the the PK from Pulisic and U.S. able to hold on for a 3-2 win. So, of course, we want to break down the entire match. I want to get everyone's thoughts on who really shined, who maybe didn't play as well as you may have thought they could have, um, and then maybe guys who didn't get a lot of action that you wanted to see from this match. And, and don't forget us playing in a friendly, uh, tomorrow. So as you're listening to this podcast against Croatia, that you might be getting ready for that match, but glad let's first start with the match. I mean, just, uh, give me your overall impression and thoughts. It was a lot of fun to watch.
2: Yeah. The fact that I was still up at one in the morning after the game and the post game, uh, points to the, uh, the, the level of, uh, excitement there was i you know it's it's hard not to classify this as just a you know a, a really fun game to watch no matter what you thought of how it was played or but it you know it had so many uh, particulars you know and i think the var part is fascinating because it's the first time i think first time the u.s has played mexico with with var certainly in this sort of a, com- a competitive game and the fact that var had such a um a critical, was such a critical factor in the outcome uh, is, uh, you know, I found it pretty interesting. And uh, look, I mean, uh, if you go on my Twitter at Glenn Crooks, I did rewatch the match about two hours ago, uh, just, uh, you know, ahead of us talking about it just to see if there was anything. And I, and I had, I had to like, look at the goal uh, that the U S gave up uh, to Mexico in the opening minute and uh, I freeze framed a, a moment and gosh, there were like half a dozen coaching points, you know, right in that particular moment. And one thing I, I, I should have added, and I might retweet my own tweet and, and add it, is that if you count Zach Steffen, the numbers in favor for U, uh, the USA in that, that little area of the pitch where they were trying to build and get out of it was seven versus three. Seven versus three, they weren't able to solve. So that's that's an issue unto itself. And for it to happen that early in the match, I think Mark McKenzie took a, took a you know a, a lot of crap uh, for uh, some of his performance. I still think he's the kind of guy. He's got tools. He's got tools, but he doesn't have experience. So I, I think uh, I, I don't think we should um, completely uh, disintegrate McKenzie from from the pool or the thought of playing, uh, you know, right central defense next to John Brooks. Uh, but at that moment, there were, a, 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 I mean, a number of things that uh, including Weston McKinney, improving his position to make it easier just to make that little square ball. Didn't, it didn't need to be square. It was a little head of square. Actually, if he got to a square position or behind square, you know, none of that would have happened. But beyond all that, uh, I, I think there were just, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, there was so much discussion, I, you know, it's almost I know it's a few days later and, and I, I don't know how much uh, we want to get into, you know, some of the things that were, you know, sort of nasty about the game and that sort of thing. But uh, the thing that stood out to me more than anything, guys, as I, you know, as I look at both teams, is I saw on the Mexico side, uh, every field player at the start of that match was comfortable on the ball. And when I look at the American side, I can't say the same thing for. Well, we need to look at eleven players because the goalkeeper's involved too, and I think that still are, you know, being able to process things quickly and being able to technically handle it and solve pressure. It's better at times, but I, I, I just that that lack of comfort level with every outfield player on the ball, and we need ball playing center backs. John Brooks, good pass for the ball, I think. McKenzie, we need to see improvement. I don't, know, I don't know if we really have a ball player uh, playing center back. You, couldn't, you can't include Aaron Long as a ball playing center back. So I just think um, you know, that's where I see the necessary progress for the U.S. men as time goes on is uh, you know, be more comfortable in those situations. But that's, there's a lot to talk about, I'm sure. But that, that's my initial
3: thoughts. Goodness, Thanks. is there a lot to talk about in this game? Yeah, I don't even. Know I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, it's first of all, welcome back, U.S. Mexico, and this is one of the great rivalries in sport. And maybe people from other parts of the globe uh, may minimize it when you compare it to maybe Argentina against Brazil, or England, France, or whatever you know, national team versus national team game you have. But this is a real, real rivalry where they just do not, I mean, they hate losing to each other. Uh, it's unacceptable to lose to each other. I mean, and, and that's the wording, especially if you listen to the Mexican side uh, of all of this, which I, you know, wind up listening to a lot of. As far as a U.S. national team performance, and we'll get into that. Um, it, this is a team that's building. It's a team that's finally getting together. Greg Berhalter hasn't had... These 11 players, or who are supposed to be his best 11 starters, or his best 23 to be able to get his best 11, together for a hell of a long time. He just really hasn't. So these guys who have possibly over-indexed personally and individually on their teams, uh, we've never had as many good players on as many good teams as, we, as the United States has now. But as a team playing together knowing each other knowing each other's tendencies and all of this they don't have that yet and it takes a while to develop chemistry and that was what that's what was lacking on this team and you you look at the way that the game started and how awful it was and how lucky they were not to be down 2 zero because that you know, they, they got beat uh, on a set piece, but he was clearly offside, not by a lot, but definitely clearly. And then a minute later, they score the goal that ties the game. And that just absolutely turns the tide of the, uh, of the match. But the U.S. was getting waxed in those first 25 minutes. I mean, it wasn't even close. And we sort of expect this from Mexico. I mean, Mexico is very, very good on the ball. It's one of the more talented teams in the world, really. As far as the way that they handle the ball and they move it around, they'll do this against anybody, not just against the United States. They're really good at this. Don't undersell that. And I'm not saying that anybody has, just in general. OK, so whenever the U.S. and Mexico are going to play, Mexico's always going to wind up with a majority of their possession because that's the way it is. Having said that, with this level of team that the U.S. has now and the players that they have, I expected the U.S. to be better on the ball. And I didn't expect Mexico to have as much of the possession as they did, but they did. And that's how it turned out. But what the U.S. lacked in, co- in team cohesion and what the U.S. lacked in understanding of playing together as a team, because they haven't done it that much, this team absolutely exceeded what we thought as far as heart and desire. And, When you look at the great U.S. teams and within the context of the U.S. of all time, those are always the things that stand out. And that's not always the thing that they've always had. When you go back to COVA, what is it, four years ago or three years ago, whatever it is, okay, and they lost that game to Trinidad and Tobago, they didn't have that. That team did not have that. This team has it and it has it in tons, it seems, because they came back and they were able to beat Honduras at the end. And they came back twice and they were able to beat, you know, Mexico, which is never easy. So one of the things that stood out to me because of all the criticism that Greg Berhalter has been getting by not getting the same, you know, the results that they have or the way that they're playing and we can, you know, go and have issue with some of the selections that he made and maybe the formation. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about this during the game. But the thing that came very clear to me about this team and the desire and how Greg Berhalter is doing internally was when Weston McKinney scored that second goal to tie the game and uh, basically send it into overtime just after Mexico had gone up 2-1. to And what did Weston McKinney do? He made a beeline for Greg Berhalter. He made a beeline for him, and everybody celebrated together on the sideline with the coach. That speaks volumes to me. It does. And at the end of the day, they found a way to win the game. Christian Pulisic wasn't good, but he made one play that made the difference. So anyway, good victory for the United States. We'll get into the details of it as as we go along, but uh, those are the things that stood out for me.
4: What do you want from me? You want me to talk about the conclusions? You want me to talk about the game? <laughs> we don't Whatever know, your,
3: your Colombian heart desires.
4: It's a... I, I, br- I brought in support right here to talk. Hello, Marcelo uh,
3: Bielsa. How are you?
4: It's fine. He's not going to look at you. Not um, listen, I think... and. I mean, I said it before the game and I said it in the last show when we talk about this game. I do not care, right? I said about the result. I care about the process. I care about about the progression. I care about how I see things moving forward. And of course, always after you win it, you care more about the result because you won it.
2: (laughs) No, I remember. I and thought about you when, you, important. You, but I thought
4: about you when you
2: said that, John. I thought about that during during the course of the uh, the match, uh, and because right.
4: because we're trying to see you know where they're going with all this. And but, at the end of the game, Glenn. Yeah, and at the end of the game, I said that on Twitter. I said it on Spanish, though. But I said that. I mean, this is a cultural win because at the end of the day, that trophy means it's nothing, to be honest. You know, I mean, it's the first edition, yes, maybe down the road in history, if you win more of them, you won the first one, whatever, but itself is not that much. But it's cultural. It's not only cultural in the sense of we won against Mexico, U.S. men's national team finally won a final, a trophy, whatever we were playing for against the big rival. But more than that, because of how the game turned out and how the decisions were made. Okay? Okay. You start the game with three at the back, right? One of them gets out a goal at minute two, and the other one has a yellow card at minute 11. All right? And that's huge. That is huge. For me, from the outside, and then thinking more of it, it was the easiest decision. You change to four at the back, at halftime or before that, right? Not temporarily, in moments, which he did, which the team did in certain moments. But as a flat-out uh, way to start a play, you switch to four, you made the substitution that you need, you fix the problem, and you reset the game, right? And he did not do it. And I think that takes courage. Because the easy situation was, you know what? Half-time, I can't see out, right? Let's fix this. Four on the back. Maybe I'll take out Acosta too and, and put in – uh, Tyler Adams and then we created a, a space for policy and two up front but you know what? You're losing players with that decision. Not only Mackenzie, which you are spousing because of his mistake but the whole pool of players are say, I'm going to say wait so what? At the first one that is not working then we're just going to throw it out? How many times are we going to be working on a model that we're going to throw out because it didn't work out the first 45 minutes? Right? So that's a message. So they made mistakes, they correct those mistakes on the fly, on the situation, right? You uh, keep working on that model that at certain point, we all knew that he is coming playing uh, 4-3-3, correct? And this was kind of a surprise. And I can tell you by fact that it was surprising too for the Mexican national team, okay? it was surprising that uh, the U.S. was playing with three center backs against them in that game. So if you're working on that model, you need to test it. You need to put it under pressure. You need to see who is going to you know, help you, who is going to fix the problems, who is going to be around for that down the road when you need it. Because when coming World Cup qualifiers, coming uh, Gold Cup, not this year, but whenever you have these players, or the World Cup you go and you need it, players are going to trust that they can do it. They tested it in hard situations and they overcome the problems. And that's the big issue. Even when you're a little kid, when you want from that kid is to find solutions himself, not to be told exactly what to do, because then you, you know, you put in machines out there. You don't put in players that can think and resolve situations. So overall, you, you know, working on the model, taking decisions that are risky uh, you are having the, the the youngest 11 for any uh, official game. Uh, you uh, fix the mistakes, and then at the end of the day, you win. That's, a, you know, it's a, for whatever you look at it, it's a win. Yeah. And and the the one that was,
2: uh, you know, he finally uh, got him out. It was right after McKenny tied the score was Tim Ream because he was, uh, he was really struggling but the, the thing that, that was a little troubling about everything that happened was that McKenzie and Ream kept being in isolated situations on the flank when you have wingbacks. Now if those wingbacks were creating massive opportunities on the attacking side then okay you're taking that risk but there was very little produced by the wingbacks, and they also didn't defend particularly well, forcing yeah, that's, and right. McKenzie to step up. So that's where that's part you of know, I think the coach also has to, you know, you, you talk about the players need to solve things on their own, and they do, and, and you need to give them a chance to correct their mistakes, and they do. But a, an inexperienced coach on an international level also needs to understand that. They've got to make adjustments along the way at times, because and because it's not working,
4: man. Yeah, I well, know, I... I know. Wait, hold on, hold on. Because yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want let This go. He did. I mean, the adjustment. Yes, they were not permanent adjustments. I think I, I remember that I I put it out. I mean, I tweeted uh, in the eleven minute or twelve minutes saying, "This is looking that we're gonna go." to fall in the back very soon, either before the end of the first half or the first half. And someone asked me, well, it will be important if the coach sees it. Of course he saw it. He's not, I mean, he's totally more experienced and has, you know, more tools. He saw it. But he's taking the risk. He's taking the harsh decision to let's fix it for certain situations. And then this is part of the opposition team to what they're bringing to you. Okay? Because, um, uh, Lozano, he's not a number nine. He played t- two or three games before this one as a number nine. And I think for the national team, this one was the first time from the start, from the 11, that he was a number nine. Okay, on that model, and it makes all the sense. You have the small guys, the faster guys, the quicker, the you know, the better prepared on the 1v1 when you're playing against three on the back. So you have Antuna, Lozano, and Corona. There was a ton of problems for them. And Geraldine and Des got caught up in the middle of, are we going to go all four? Are we going to attack? Or are we going to try to defend and create a five when we defend it? And this has to be with the early goal. If you see the first, the very first play of the game, that was the plan. That pressure out there and you saw it down the road probably 35 minutes in or something, I got to write it down, they create that situation. They press in on the, on the outside uh, when uh, Mexico is going to restart from the back, right? They occupy all the spaces wide and length, right? They create the mistake that Mexico had. They build that really quick because they, they recover the ball really close to the box, and then the ball crossed and nobody could get there. I think, uh, I think that was um, – that was a sergeant who tried to get to the ball and he couldn't. Uh, rain, yeah, the one rain served. Exactly. Yeah. So and you saw that at the the very first play that was the you know that was the plan, but then and yep. in and the, in the following sequence you receive a goal, so everything starts to shake. So at that, point, at that point,
1: obviously, my next question: a lot depends on the formation that you go with, whether it's three or four at the back. But um, Roberto, do you still feel like? The biggest questions that Burhalter has moving forward, or I mean, there's obviously a lot of questions, but is if it is a back four, who the, the cleared number one choices are along the back line? Because we've seen a lot of different combinations and guys on different sides of the ball.
3: Well, the, the, they missed Aaron Long. I mean, if, I, if Aaron Long is available, he's going to be your starter next to Brooks. Uh, I like Serginho Dest on the left and Reggie Cannon on the right. So that's my favorite combination as far as the the U.S. backs are concerned. But having said that, uh, Serginho Dest really has problems defending. And it's it's a matter of concentration and effort along along those lines. He's so good going forward. But this is a major issue for him. And so this is something that they – not only on the national team, has got to get figured out on his club team, which is Barcelona is going to get figured out. They brought in competition for him uh, on the team. So he's going to have to, you know, work hard on figuring out his defensive deficiencies, or he's going to find himself fighting for for, jet, for very few minutes because he's going to get, you know, Barcelona isn't going to wait for him for the frame to develop. They're going to find somebody, even, you know, with the fact that they don't have a ton of money to spend. He's, um, he's better on I the think, right,
2: by the way. I yeah, think he yeah, might I think right. he might be a lot better on the right. and that's where you where you just don't go with the slam dunk desk cannon because I, you know, I thought Anthony Robinson, you know was pretty good against Honduras. I mean, I you know he looks like an improved player than the last time he performed for the national team. I haven't seen him in the games in between with his club, but I'm just saying I thought he looked I thought he looked pretty good.
3: He was I mean, dangerous. I'm so sort of surprised that he didn't play, considering that he plays in front of Tim Ream when he's at Fulham. I mean, then, how how does that happen?
4: But that's part <laughs> I, mean,
3: that's, I didn't get the Ream part, I really didn't.
4: That's part of the oh, decisions. John. Yeah, because that's part of the decisions. That's that's part of why this process is moving forward sure. with that kind of stuff. I mean, you you were talking about Mackenzie, right? Mackenzie's playing on a line of three in this game, right? And he is used to play in his team in a line of four. And he's not even started. He played 16 games for gang. Okay. He is usually playing on the left side of that line of four. So two center backs, he's on the left side. On the right side, he usually have Carlos Cuesta or Lucumí, both Colombians. One played uh, 38 games. The other one played 41 games. He played 16 games. So you put in a guy that you know plays in a, dif- a different formation, that is not having a season with a big amount of games, and you put it on that pressure. And that's Can I just important. add
3: one small caveat to that, though, John, because when you mentioned the numbers of games, he wasn't there for the full season for Genk because he had to finish. He had to finish with uh, the Philadelphia Union last year, and he didn't really get there till January.
4: Yeah, but I'm not disgusted if he is. If he won the, uh, the position on his team or not. I'm saying he did not play that amount of numbers there. So he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing that much. Look at the statistics. Okay. Again, 41 for Lukumi, 38 for Cuesta. That's your season. Okay. Remember, it's Belgium. Okay. So, it's, and it's fine. It's his first season in Europe and he's young. What I'm saying here is he is growing in this process. He's having an opportunity of a life there. And that's why it was the hard decision, but the smarter decision, not take him out at halftime and regroup that line of four because you're exposing the guy and you, you're not working with the group. And they did on, on, on some part of the game, Jellin didn't attack that much. He stayed back. They created a line of four with Ream being on the left side as a left back, Yeah, right? And Reyna came which, back to that space that Jelden was occupying and helping. Which
2: is, an, which is even worse. It's even worse. because out uh, there, but the, yeah. Because Ream, well, exactly. exactly. Hey, can I uh, give you a fun fact? Uh, McKenzie uh, played for Club Bruges in yes. the uh, uh, Jupiter Pro League playoff on May 23rd. Uh, rather, not for Club Bruges, for a uh, Gank against Gank. Club Bruges and Ethan Horvath. Ethan Horvath played 90 minutes in that match and he conceded a penalty in the 85th minute to give uh, and Club Bruges lost to uh, lost to Gank on that uh, on that goal. And I just thought it was ironic that he makes the big penalty save. That's the last time he faced a penalty in a match.
3: Well, let me go back to McKenzie, because I think McKenzie is a you know, he's a great prospect to be able to fight for minutes of being a central defender on the U.S. national team. So the fact that he commits that mistake and the fact that he gets to stay in for, ba- for, for the rest of the game, okay, also speaks volumes. As John said, you know, he could have been removed at halftime, but w- what it does is that it winds up showing, you know, that first of all, that there's confidence in him and they're trying to build confidence and he's showing that, you know, okay, I want to get, I'll get over my mistake and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it afterwards. And I believe that the ball that uh, that winds up in a penalty kick for Guardado comes off his hand. But I mean, that, that, I mean, if we start talking about the penalty kicks, that, it's, it's a different thing. I think that if that penalty, if that situation happens in the 34th minute and the game is one, one, the referee doesn't call that a penalty. And he basically says it's too close to him to be able to react. To, so that shouldn't be a penalty. But the fact that he, they already called a penalty on uh, on Mexico against Polisic, And so I, he had to feel the pressure to be able to say, well, if I gave that as a penalty, I'm going to have to give this as a penalty as well. That's my take on that. But, um, you know, well, McKenzie, I, I thought that the had a, the game.
2: Mackenzie had a nice, uh, sh- it was interesting because his hands was, were at his sides. He blocked the shot, but was it Antuna? I, I, don't, I don't remember who took the shot, but he really stood his ground. He really defended well, and he was isolated right on the corner of the box. And I thought that yeah. was a big moment. No, it
4: was huh? Losano. I think. Yeah. It was Losano. I think, on that plate. Oh, but, uh, yeah, it really? was. It was awesome. Yeah. But listen, right. listen, listen. Because it's, I don't, I don't want to just stick and dedicate a whole full analysis only on McKenzie. Because I'm going to tell you something that you may. Pretty don't. important. That's a pretty important position though to fill. You know, ultimately <laughs> yes. that's going to be right. That but is the,
2: maybe the most important thing to decide on. But listen to this.
4: If if and I was thinking, like I said, I was thinking the team should change to a line of four at halftime, right? And if I do that, you know which of the three center backs I will take out at that point? Brooks. Two reasons. One, he was the one with yellow car out of the three. Right? Yep. Two, two, I don't want to burn out McKenzie, right? I don't want to just because of his mistake, take him out and then burn his head. Three, John Brooks had a play that I did not like for one beat right before the end of the half. There's a bouncing ball that he could not control well. And instead of controlling the ball and being himself the responsible one on that play or taking the decision, bounce it out, kick it out, whatever you want to do, right? He prolonged that ball bouncing to his goalie who was under the goal. Right? So for me, it's like, I don't want to deal with this problem, take it. And it's my goalie. You know what happened? If he cannot connect that ball properly, he will be chained everywhere because it's a you know, of course, it's an American goalie and blah blah blah. He cannot play with his feet, blah, 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 blah. You are the field player. Take responsibility. Put that ball down. If you want to give it back to you play to your goalie and give it clean, bump it out. Take the decision, but you had to take responsibility. You cannot just, all right, you know what? Go deal with it. I did uh, not like that play one bit. I thought uh, worse than that for, from
2: Brooks. And again, it was, a, it was a smallish kind of thing that might have gone unnoticed. But this one was late in the game and a ball was played through and he had himself between the attacking player and uh, Ethan Horvath. And e- Ethan Horvath ended up getting a, kind of sort of, a, you know, a boot to the head kind of thing. But Brooks, he stepped across and then let the guy continue to Horvath. And then I, I think the guy might have even been carded uh, again. It was, Erre- it
3: was Hector Herrera. That was one of the, the 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 three cards he should have gotten. He got one out of, out of three. Oh, so that was yeah, Herrera, yeah. Hector Herrera I, came in and uh, let him in. Yeah,
2: but, but, but as a defender, you never you protect your goalkeeper at all costs. You don't move your body like Ole and then let him get hammered. I thought that was poor by Brooks for a guy that's that experience. But I mean, that's, you know, that's just another yeah. Yeah. smallish yet. It's like, come on, what, what the heck? And of course, okay. the comment, there was no commentary that would suggest it. By the way, the the pregame was uh, 60 minutes. The pregame for CBS Sports, 58 minutes too long. OK, number one, <laughs> halftime was inconsequential. I did enjoy postgame. All those guys played against Mexico. It was kind of it was an exciting game and it was just it was kind of fun to see them react. I, I will say that. But other than that and, and the uh, the the analysis uh, of the actual match, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm just am I old school. I just want to hear about the game. I don't want all the BS. Am I old? Is that just me? Is, do, do I like to, you know, I just want to know how maybe why this is happening. You know, what else could been done? You know, uh, whatever. Fifty eight minutes too long. And the, and the other two minutes were commercials that you know supported the broadcast.
4: That's the measures approved by Marcelo. <laughs> <laughs> so right. Let's talk about the game. Listen, I we, we will. I'm sorry. I was just a, a moment that no, no, just came up. To, no. It came to me, you know, it's like, a, yeah, because it's true. It's true. And that's what I'm saying in, in that kind of broadcast and so important of a game. Let's talk about the game. And, and yes, I mean, yeah, okay. yeah. Twist the situation around, but you whatever can't. you could go. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you want to joke it, and,
2: and you have you have people that aren't necessarily comfortable on the air, you're comfortable delivering you know, on television. And uh, I know Gooch got himself in trouble. uh,
4: That's the other problem. But that's
2: just because he's in. I mean, more so, you know, exactly. He's a good guy. I mean, but he said something really ridiculous, stupid, (laughs) offensive. But, you know, it's it's mostly because he's. He's, you can't just throw these guys on TV, man. Exactly. So here's, here's part of the
3: thing. I'm glad that he I'm glad that he apologized and he apologized at
2: 1:20 in the morning Eastern. Yeah, but, at 1:20 I, in the but, morning.
3: But, I mean, whatever. But he did he did apologize and it was a sincere apology. It wasn't yeah, a yeah. "if I offended you," you know, written by a lawyer someplace that he's yeah, got to uh-huh. read. Yeah. He did it to her directly, sitting next to her, and apologized. And I mean, it's I, I'm glad that he did that. Obviously, what he said was just totally over the line. Here's the problem one of the best shows on television and maybe my favorite show on television is inside the NBA. Okay. It is absolutely brilliant. Okay. They, they, they they work without scripts and they just go on chemistry and they have a blast and they do a fantastic job, first of all, analyzing, but then putting some fun into it. And then they've got great personalities and fantastic chemistry. And it is an absolute must watch if you love sports because you'll fall in love with the show even if you don't love basketball it's that well done to try to imitate that which people are trying to do and to try to find that for it's not easy it's not easy at all and cbs found that out and so they went you know they went with guys who are trying to play around and be uh and you know and try to be funny and try to give you some analysis and and all of that but again yes you have to be careful and you that that chemistry just like the U.S. national team chemistry doesn't come just by sitting three people together. OK, it has to come naturally. It ha—it has to come. And it's going to have to be managed a little bit until they're able to figure out what, uh, you know, what's going on. It seems like everybody loved Deuce, though. Everybody loved Deuce. He got I mean, every time that I would read something on Twitter, everybody loved him.
2: Well, I know somebody so, that was at a bar uh, uh, in New York City you know, a full bar, you know, and they had the, the sound up and they said he said they, you know, the people in the bar loved it, loved the whole thing. They just loved it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Am I like I feel like I'm like, uh, you know, you know, I'm, right, over and, I'm over and done with, you know, Because right, uh, I, well, I can't I could can take like five minutes of it, but after right. a while, it's not funny anymore. No,
1: oh, let's get back funny? to the field. I,
2: mean,
3: I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I didn't think I didn't have your take on it. Mind you, I was 58 minutes by what I'm, Gooch did, but uh, I'm, and I'm, glad, I'm glad that he did apologize and all that, but uh, 120 you know, chemistry, takes, chemistry yep. takes a while uh, to develop. And, right. uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was bad. Let's go back to the field.
1: Let's go back to the field. Speaking of chemistry, one guy who got on late in that game, but should have a big role is Tyler Adams. John, do you think ultimately in a midfield for the U.S., do you see – a potential best midfield, some kind of combination of McKenny and Adams in the middle there for the U.S.
4: I mean, it all it all depends on your position and what is your idea, or your, your game plan, right? I mean, the two guys are you, you pair them. Yes, you have the, the two people, that two your two best pivots are those two. But sometimes you may want to play only with one pivot and then you know create another model and, and your exit is going to go around and all that stuff. So. But you're talking about having the two of them, that's your bear pairing as a pivot, of course.
1: So should the system be based on having those two on the field as much as possible? No,
4: no, no. you cannot
2: base a system. Yeah, but they're but they're flexible. Tyler Adams has played, look at where he's he can play anywhere. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and McKenney's also he's flexible. He you could put him up at the ten. You could put him at center back. Mm -hmm. I mean, you he's, he's 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 but having them as twin sixes, you know. Mostly Adams is going to be the stay at home, and then McKenney has freedom. It's really a, it works in a number of ways. Different yeah, I way think to stay you have home. to
3: have them both on the field because they're two of your best players, period. I think you have to have them on the field. If they're available, you must find a way to get them on the field, just like you have to find a way to get Polisic on the field, and you've got to get Reina on the field. You've got th- those four guys have to be on your feet, have to be on the field, and you build everything else around them. No, hey, so, and so I
4: do not agree. I do not agree with building something around a last name because you can't do that. You're not going to count with this, you know, with those players, with that guy every time you want it. You'll be able to say st-
3: that if, it, if they're available. You build you assistant, a
4: player. You build a model, and you build players that are ab- able to help you in different capacities. And and yes, you may have your prefer if everything is equal and you have everybody available. But you if you build around I always have to have this and I always have to have that. Meaning players, you are in trouble when you don't have them. So you build the system, you build the model and then the players come in naturally to fill those positions. And of course, you have players that fill those positions better than others. But now building around that, a player.
2: That's valid. And those four need to be on the field you know and they and they're because they're they're able to but listen. They, could, they could fit into
4: whatever model you're right you're going to put right. in right but listen look <laughs> at this it, this is the kind of decision that that uh, exemplified the point uh we were talking about how serginho Des is a lot better attacking and and how he's really good in the one v one is is just of you know delightful to see him with the ball on his feet trying to create and you know and at the minute 62, no, yes, 62, when he was winning every single 1v1, giving the wide that the team needed, when he was the most important player on the field with the ball and without the ball, he was substituted. And, and, and where I came in, okay? That's why you say, okay. There's things that you don't know that the coach may know and may have in mind or may, uh, and, and by his, by his demeanor, he didn't like it. Okay. So that wasn't talked before. It's just a decision that he, that Greg, Greg Behalter took during the game and it is fine. Okay. He can have, that's, that's why he's being paid to take that kind of decisions. Now, the problem is what happened with the decision. Okay. What happened with Will? Was he so impactful on the game? Did he bring something absolutely different that changed the shape, the position, the the approach of the team? There's many ways to look at it, okay? But in comparison, same thing happened with Uriel Antuna, okay? He was winning every single 1v1 against Team Ream. He was trashing that guy because, of course, he can on speed, on one v one, on quality, on the, with the ball on their feet. He can, you know, he's he's not gonna help. So he is substituted. Yeah, but the guy who came in, yeah, the line Liners, line
2: yeah, Jesus,
4: one minute on the field, goal. So okay. that's the point. You if you if you stick to names, those kind of thing happens. Okay, when you don't have that name on the field. You're lacking the the everything that that team that, that uh, player is giving you.
2: But we're also, so have, also
3: one thing we're, we're also not there. They're also adjusting. playing at
4: they're also
2: playing at elevation. We're not there to see the whole field okay. and what's going on. And you know, uh, Antuna could have been that could he may have been on his last legs. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, but the,
3: th- the other thing is so the, the minute that that um, that Linus comes in and makes a difference, right? And uh, he's I mean he's a, he's a player who's improved greatly in one year. He may not be getting a ton of playing time in Spain, but whatever he's doing in training and the playing time he is getting is making a difference because he's a totally different player than he was a year ago. But give Berhold the credit for seeing the damage that, was, that he was going to do and that he was absolutely, that uh, Tim Ream was totally overmatched at that point, and he immediately, a minute later, made a change. And that's where Tyler Adams came in and Ream went out. And then Linus, you know, he was still dangerous, but he wasn't killing people anymore. Because then you've got uh, Tyler Adams going over and helping out uh, Acosta, who had moved to left back. So now you have Adams and Acosta, and then Linus wasn't anywhere near as effective. He's going anymore. to a
4: flat a flat line of four. That's why he did.
3: Yeah, but 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 he, he also t- but he also gets Tyler Adams in there, who's much better defensively, and immediately now, got there and said a lot because he's of better
4: defensively. Lines. It's not because he's better defensively. It's because if you have the line of four and you have a proper number six then you can double-team that kind of player on the win. You can cut the space that he can operate with. But that's the model with the player. Again, it's not the player. It's not because I bring a player that is good in this. It's because the model did this. And, yes, I agree with you. Uh, Berhalter saw it, but he saw it. uh, He was was working this way. I mean, the game was giving him and he was reading the game. And in some moments, he took the decision. I'm not going to do it. The game is telling me to do it. I'm not gonna do it. I want this, and then of course you gotta take into consideration time too. I mean, the game is about to finish, right? So you need to try to do something else and try to uh, p- put your team in a better position. But that's that's totally that's that's totally the point. I mean, those decisions are the decisions that are telling us, or at least me, that the process is moving forward. Now the one position. I don't know how much longer
2: we'll uh, go on the, the men's national team, but I, I think uh, talking about striker, the number nine uh, is, is somewhere else to go with this because you know, Josh Sargent, you know, he's gotten, he's gotten a pretty substantial amount of uh, opportunity to kind of uh, start to run away with that. And I, I think uh, case in point, was the uh, well, McKenny shot from the outside? The save was made. Sargent then barreled in on goal, and really just kind of had to, you know, side foot it. He had to get his hips around, you know. There, it, but it was a striker's finish that he just completely missed. I don't know if you guys remember the, the that 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 uh, particular yeah, 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 moment. Yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, and I and I, you know, he hadn't really been effective in, in the matches I've seen, and then at that moment it was like that's a guy that's got to bury it our striker our US men's national team striker has to bury that at that moment and bury Mexico and um, you know I but that's,
4: know. that's that's that, that's yeah that's a that's a really good point i mean roberto if you go to the list mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see a number 9 like a, a real number 9 that is a killer you can have a forward right that is right. that it ha- that has the physicality of a number nine and that and the positioning of a number nine. But Maybe. I don't see on the pool of players that killer. Where is he? Well, I guess you well, give, okay. D- so, so give Daryl DK. Be- you give DK a
2: chance at some point, right?
3: right? DK is going to get a chance. Sibichu is going to get a chance. Probably Sebastián Soto is going to get a chance. And then, I mean, the old guard is still around. I mean, at some mm-hmm. point we'll see that Josie Altidore is going to go to some team and hopefully he's going to be able to get himself, you know, back into playing like Josie Altidore. And Gaia, you know, Josie Sardis is still around as well. He's not a killer. So, I mean, no, I know he's not a killer, but, uh, you know, he's, he is scoring goals. Yeah,
4: but, no. Um, Those kind of guys we the, have like six already.
3: Right, but so, but I mean, you look at Sib- you, you look at Sivachu, you look at Dike, and and uh, the young people, by the way, you're, no? you're looking at uh, what's that? Pifa. Pifa. Yeah. Well, the, the, that's his uh, maiden, the mother's maiden name, and that's what he wanted on the back of his it's, shirt.
4: That's why he wants right. to be called.
3: Call me Pifa. Yep. All right. So we're going to call right. him that. All right, Jordan uh, Pifa. Correct. And so, uh, formerly known as Sivichu. <laughs> he'll be like prince. <laughs> um, Thank you to his dad. <laughs> what
2: is his uh, um, that's his mother's last th- is that what you said yes, i didn't know mother, i didn't know right. what
3: the uh, story was. Well, who
1: do you think should be given the next opportunity a la sergeant who would you like to see get that Well, chance?
2: dk is one and then uh i'm a big fan of Akanola, but i guess he's with canada in their camp and so he i mean he might end up getting tied with canada at some point so maybe that'll you know, well, he's, de-
3: he's doing what uh, Edson Alvarez did with Ephraim, uh, Ephraim, uh, sorry, thank you. Efrain Alvarez did with the uh, U.S. national team, so uh, he hasn't committed anywhere, but uh, he's training with Canada now, he's sort of like on a reserve list. But the thing is, is that if they do call him up because they play Suriname, if they do mm. call him up for that game, does he accept or not? Because he has a choice of saying, you know, uh, I, I don't want to accept because. I want to wait to see what the U.S. Okay. does. Right. So there, there's, a ch- there's still a chance that he could uh, play for the U.S. We, we don't know what his, min- what his is mind is on that, but he did the right thing to go to Canada and to see, you know, what goes on there. I mean, is his killer, play, he a killer? Jesus, he's young enough that, I mean, uh, who, are we going to get, are we ever going to get in Aguero? I
4: don't know. I mean, I mean how many
3: killers are out there?
2: I'm but you know, but when you here, watch John. a guy like when that guy Liez went in the other day and I watched him play, I was like, "Gosh, you know, but this again, this is where we fall a little short. We don't have a player we do in the United States of America that's a dual citizen, but where you know we haven't dug them up enough. I'm telling you, our scouting is preventing us from possibly." Or, or allowing opportunities to a guy like Linus. I don't know anything about his background. All I know is we don't have a player in our system that did what he did the other night. And, and you know, I look at you know, uh, look at those the forwards the that we had at the end: Wea, uh, Sibachu, uh, who well, Pulisic. Pulisic can he's a one v one player.
3: He gets it yeah. Done. So Pulisic can do that. Reina showed that he can do that too. By the way, against Honduras, he, he, he definitely uh, did that. He just shot it slightly wide. So, yeah, I think Reina players closer. that are like Linus and, and probably better than Linus without taking anything away from him.
4: No, I think Reina can be of that kind, especially, I think that nonchalant way to go at it, I think that's, that's a Latino way to play the game, right? I mean, it's a, it's a cultural way. Yes, you have the abilities. I think, uh, of course, Christian, Pulisic has that quality on his feet, but he's never going to be like showing off, you know, the, the ball of his body when the defender is coming, right, and, and and I think that is what Lionel has, and that with I think, Gio yeah, there's a certain, have. yeah, just, Gio's that I flavor of you know enjoying um, a make, enjoying that kind of stuff, you know, calling you. Listen, that's why things that I I just love, for example, that kind of situations. That's why I enjoy Western uh, McKinney so much. I mean, he's a guy who is fighting with you on the field, but laughing, okay? <laughs> he gets hit, he wants to make you. He talks to the referee and he, he blinks the eye to the referee. He pushes you, but he gives you whatever you needed. It's like, you know, he's enjoying being the, the character on the field, but at the same time, he understands. I had to be it for the team, for the game. But it's totally different. I mean, we, we, I'm enjoying it. I'm not dying here. This is not a war.
3: The funny thing with him was that they, they, somebody had a video out there, and uh, I wound up sharing it on Twitter. And they, there was a point where everybody's pushing and shoving, and they're grabbing him by the neck. And like five minutes later, there's another incident where everybody's together, and he's sharing his water. The water. With, uh, hmm. Right. He's sharing his water with another player from Araujo. Mexico. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. That's that's just like, you know, panning him. Right. And I mean that, that was really nice to see. Are we going to talk about the fans at all? Because this has me pissed off.
2: Oh, yeah. Come on, it's—it's it's an old story. It's, it, yeah. but yeah, I it's mean, the it's,
3: same story. Yeah.
2: It, so it's like, I, you know, I don't know what you want to say. Why, well,
3: do, we to, to why say. do we here's have to? Why do we have to keep I repeating
2: to it? Well, I think. What I do not
3: want to say? Because there's two more. Mexico's why do you talk about this?
2: how about the Mexican Federation? Their statement. How lame was that?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, their, their that's that's where the problem is lame. Yeah, huh? because they've taken a they've taken a very hands off approach. I mean, when there were everybody was yelling uh, the P word. I mean, they were like, well, we really don't want to get involved, et cetera, et cetera, until they were finally forced. I mean, this has been going on for years. Um, what's going on? So here's what, what's got to happen when they play in the United States and the Mexican fans here in America go to games. All right. And there's got to be better patrolling of all of this and better, you know, if you throw something on the field, okay, you get arrested. It's, not a, it's no longer a fact of, hey, we're just going to kick you out of the game. If you're going to get this stupid, this drunk, and you're going to start throwing stuff, either if it reaches a field or it just reaches somebody else in the, fa- in the stands, okay, you get arrested. Because we're going to put an end to this. And we're going to tell you before the game and during the game, don't do this. This is the consequence. And if then you're stupid enough or drunk enough that you don't care, then pay the damn consequence. When you start making examples of people, publicly making examples of people, other people start falling in line. And this is what's got to happen. And if, the, if they're going to play in the United States and this is going to happen, you know, the United States Soccer Federation has to approve all these games. I mean, it just doesn't happen in a vacuum. So they have to get there, and they've got to be able to be part of this and say, this is going to stop. If you're going to play here and this is going to happen, this is going to stop. We're not allowing this anymore. It's crazy. And uh, look, this isn't a blanket statement about all Mexican fans, because that's not the case. We're talking specifically about the ones that are doing the throwing of beers or whatever else they're putting in there because it's not only beer half the time, and I know what it happens in Mexico, which is a totally different story, okay? And everybody who's chanting the P word, all right? Identify him, arrest them, make a big deal, show them on TV, drag them out. Make everybody else aware this will happen to you if you do this, because it's unacceptable behavior. No kid that's sitting in the seventh row needs to be hit by somebody throwing a beer from the 15th row. Nobody needs to be hit. Not only a kid, a woman, a guy, no matter what. Nobody deserves to be hit with that. Okay? And forget about the players on the field. Reyna got all got punked on it. And then so, so, so did one of the Mexican players. This can't happen anymore. We've got to stop this. Make an example out of people. Drag them out. Make it public. Put their faces in the paper, whatever it takes on social media. Embarrass them to the point of where they no longer do this, that the punishment is much more than they're willing to put up with of having that moment of stupidity. And let's get it done. Let's get it done. I'm tired of it. I've been arguing about this for, for over a decade. It started with a P word and now it's been like everybody's throwing beers because, hey, what the hell? And now say that only 5% behavior. of the
4: time, now say that only 5% of the time or less, it's beer.
3: Yeah, I'm saying, yeah, a, a lot of times guys are literally peeing into their cups and throwing it. And in Mexico, they were throwing up into their cups and peeing in their cups and then throwing it. And I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating. Grant Wall in Mexico. I forget which one it was, 2009, 2007. I forget which one it was in one of the World Cup qualifiers. You know, the, the press box is open and you're, you're sitting literally one row below or in front of where the fans are. And some guy just decided, looked at him and saw that he was an American journalist, took his beer and poured it on his laptop. I mean, Jesus. We can't allow this behavior, and Mexico is always like, yeah, we'll take care of it, we'll take care of it, mañana, 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 and they do crap. And then they don't do enough. Then they're finally forced into it. Now all of a sudden it's like, wait, we're going to take points away from you? Fine. But Cancacaf still hasn't done it. Make them play without any fans after COVID is done. Hit them in the wallet where it freaking hurts. Take points away. Let them not qualify for a World Cup for this shit. Then they'll understand. It just should be like,
2: you know, you go to an NFL game or an NBA game and you have a lot. A, a, it's, it's sad, but it's what they do. You have that whole and at a concert, right? You have a whole line of uh, security people that they're just looking up. They're not involved in the game or the concert or the music. They're looking up. Yeah. And uh, that's how people get ejected at all those events. Oh.
1: I mean, Hopefully, they'll take more action. All right, guys, only a couple of minutes left on this episode. Glenn, I know there's some news on the women's side we wanted to touch on before we wrap.
2: Yeah, well, the story just came out today. that uh, Jill Ellis, back-to-back World Cups, uh, San Diego uh, on the move. Like Sacramento had the, uh, you know, they were going to get an MLS team. They were going to get an NWSL team, kind of a combination package. Didn't happen. Well, San Diego is going to start an NWSL team in 2022. They don't have a coach yet. But they have a general manager, Jill Ellis, who's going to run the show. And she's already got she's already got uh, allocation money to spend on and start getting players. So that all happened today on, uh, on Tuesday. So that's significant news. That league is growing. We need to,
4: Glenn, we need to set up a trip to South America to bring players. Say what now? We need to set up a trip to South America and bring I, players to Jill Ellis.
2: We do. We do.
4: I'll, I'll set it up for us.
2: I'll make sure she knows we're going.
4: We have you gonna, 15
1: you at all already. Glenn, you ah. gonna put you gonna put your name in the coaching hat for that one?
2: No, I'm not. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying life in my basement next to Bob Marley.
1: So only man who wouldn't who wouldn't leave San Diego or wouldn't leave New Jersey for San Diego. That's right. Dummy, well,
2: John's got Marcello yeah, and I, I've got I agree Marley.
3: With you there, Tom. San Diego is like one of the most gorgeous cities in this country, and the the weather is perfect. I've
2: yeah. I've been there. I've been there. <laughs>
3: yeah. The polo fields, the polo
2: fields used to go with my club teams all the time, recruited there all the time.
3: And then once uh, they reopened the border to foot traffic, because right now it's only car traffic, then you can go uh, and get some really unbelievable Mexican food on the other side of the border.
2: I made the wise choice, really
3: good Mexican food in San Diego. But
2: I made the very wise choice to never go to Tijuana with the young coaches who were on the recruiting trail. I'm glad I made that decision.
3: That's smart. uh, That's probably smart. Knowing
2: that I oftentimes didn't see him the next day where they should have been working. (laughs) 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 Uh, Son of a gun. The other thing is, well, uh, uh, and John and Roberto, you guys, John and Roberto in particular brought up Santiago Rodriguez. John, you mentioned him a long time ago. Uruguayan boy. He's a midfielder, winger who um, I, I know he had like an Instagram photo with the New York City FC Logo on a, on a cake or something. I can't remember what the heck it was, but uh that's pending. And you th- you say he's in New York? He's in New York yeah.
4: now. Yeah, yeah. He he okay. should be in New York already. Yeah, All that's right. something that was that was talked since he moved from Nacional to Torque in Uruguay. He always yeah. knew that at some point he would be moving to New York. Well, he
3: looks like. Can you very... give us a quick a quick refresher on uh, how he plays, John, and what to expect from him?
4: Well, he's he's. He can play either of the three positions up front. But uh, you want him playing as a number ten, that's a really good position for him. He scored goal, he's not a top goal scorer, but he scores goal. He's very talented. Of course, his age is a is a plus. And it is one of those stories, you know, same as Stati Castellanos. Players, even uh, Del Prete, what watch this last name? It's another Argentinian, almost the same thing as Stati uh, Castellanos. Argentinians that came out of Argentina very young, playing different countries in lower division teams and now they're somehow getting into Torque because Torque is setting up a real nice uh, scouting network and, uh, and they're being there playing a really good uh, style of football of course and, and having results because Torque played play this year the first for the first time on international tournament, Copa Sudamericana.
3: By the All way, uh, one of my neighbors, uh, who's American, his mom is Argentinian, uh, his dad is American, and I used to play soccer with him here, here in the backyard with Eddie. Uh, he's been living in, in, in Uruguay, and he's been playing for, uh, for Torque for, his, uh, uh, for the U19s. And uh, he's been a starter on that team. Right now, he's injured, so he's back in New York for a little while. But uh, he's been down there and playing for their U19s for over a year. I'm just, like, really thrilled for him.
4: Write down the name so we can do the scouting report. Okay, okay, well done. We'll get it for you.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, let's go around the room. Roberto, where can people follow you?
3: Okay, they can follow me on Twitter at Rob Abramowitz. Also on Facebook at Roberto Abramowitz Oficial. Uh, We've started uh, this new website called Especialistas del Deporte uh, with Raúl Alegre. So uh, doing a lot of video comments there on uh, soccer, on football. And on uh, other sports as they, as they come up, maybe. Uh, we're still talking about possibly doing a live show that would be daily, but we're still trying to work on a lot of the, the kinks with that. As far as uh, the technology, something's not been 100%, so we haven't started anything yet. But uh, hopefully some, something can come of that uh, soon. So uh, look up EspecialistasDeporte.com, and uh, a lot of great stuff. A lot of great people are there, too. Uh, you could also follow me on Facebook at Roberto Abramowitz um, and on official on Instagram at Roberto Abramowitz. And uh, our game starts at 730 uh, next Saturday. Don't, don't uh, talk about next to... Saturday.
2: That's a week from this Saturday, right? Don't talk about that, please.
3: It's not this Saturday? <laughs> no, I mean, we're, no. We're,
2: we're off this Saturday, dude. There's just one game, Sporting KC Austin. Are you calling that one?
1: No, I'm not. <laughs> and, uh, well, we'll get you to know, New York I'm City's fair. game next week. So
3: I have another week. Yeah, right. another week another off. That's week I can that's go right. to I'm right. going to do that. Anyway, but when we ever when we do have a game, it'll be at 7:30. It'll be on what is it? nycfc.com/radio. All right, glad. As always, let's <laughs> survive sort of today. <laughs> yay uh, me.
2: <laughs> yay. At Glenn Crooks, uh, the coaching academy series XMFC, Wednesday. My guest is Jerry Smith head coach at Santa Clara. They won the NCAA division one women's championship. Jerry, uh, he's John, you would love talking to Jerry. He's, uh, he's a good soccer man. I caught when I got the job at Rutgers. I called him up. Didn't know. He didn't know me. I didn't, I didn't personally know him, but I knew he played a four, three, three, and we broke it down, sat down with me. It was, it was wonderful. And, uh, interesting from Jerry, uh, he, he sincerely said he almost quit during the pandemic because uh, he broke down. He didn't think he was. He just didn't think he could handle it with his team himself personally. And then um, a few months later, he wins a national title. So it's
4: a good story, but a lot of good soccer stuff, too. Thank you. All right, John. All right. People can follow me on J Rojas A75. That is on Twitter.
1: All right. I'm at T Colker for Glenn, Roberto and John and Coach Bielsa. If you uh hey, 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 have any and, video clips, what and, and and Bob Marley. And Bob Marley.
2: Don't just and go be elsewhere. Spider-Man.
1: All right, for everybody, for all the things. I'm Tom. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Soccer in the City.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.